You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington, and we have services meeting each week at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can also join us online live at our 11 a.m. service each Sunday. If you'd like to know more about Axe Church Northwest, you can go to axechurchnw.org. Now enjoy the sermon. Sergeant Alvin York was born near Pall Mall, Tennessee. He was a, a rough kid. He went to church uh, with his family and so on, but he was, he was kind of a rough kid. He would get drunk and he would get angry and he would start fights and he would get rowdy. Um, for those of you who've been to Tennessee, uh, East Tennessee, you may know the type. I lived there for about six years, so I can just guess what Alvin York was like. Um, he was the best shot with a gun in the area. They had to hunt, not for fun, but to eat because they you know, weren't particularly wealthy and they they were subsistence farmers, and they would eat what they, what they hunted. But he was, man, could he shoot a gun, apparently one of the best or the best in the county. His life or his way of life was not following the Lord. But on New Year's Day in 1915, Sergeant Alvin York, as he would later be called, just Alvin York at the time, gave his life to Jesus Christ and, and chose to become a Christ follower and he lived as a Christ follower for the rest of his life, a very serious Christ follower. He actually ended up becoming uh, second elder, is what they called it at their church. And basically, if the pastor was out of town, he would run the services. Uh, he, he became very serious about the Bible. But it wasn't long until World War I came knocking. I think he was around 29 years old at this time. And Alvin York was drafted into the army. And uh, Sergeant York didn't believe in killing and war. He didn't believe that he should do it. His reading of the Bible, and he was very serious about the Bible, told him not to do it, so he actually applied to be a conscientious objector, not out of cowardice or anything like that, but because he believed it wasn't the right thing to do. And apparently, they denied it, and he tried again, I think, three or four times. Um, but eventually, he was able to reconcile his faith in Christ and fighting the German army, who he believed uh, was trying to take over the world and he saw it as a way of peacemaking to go to war and end it quickly uh, and preserve uh, the way of life of democracy and so on. And so uh, it says here, and, and, and these quotes I'm going to read you are from sergeantyork.org, sgtyork.org, if you want to look them up. It says, he willingly obeyed the draft, for he received assurance from God that he would not get killed and come back home without a scratch. This is him talking. I told them, this is his family's talking to you. I told them when I left, I was coming back. And I felt I was going to get back safely. And I never did doubt it in the least. Because I had my assurance that I would return home safely. On October 8th of 1918, Sergeant Alvin York faced a major battle. He had been sent with a group to go take out some entrenched enemy machine gun positions and he ended up getting separated from the group, and he was by himself, and he was caught with major machine gun fire bearing down on them. He was about 25 yards away, which is not very far from these machine gun uh, nests, and he had to fight by himself. And so, as this great shooter that he was, every time one of these soldiers would pop their head up, he would shoot them. And he kept fighting, and he kept fighting. And shooting back, actually at one point I believe they sent like five guys with bayonets to just charge him with bayonets and he took them all out. Eventually the German officer in charge surrendered along with all of, of the German soldiers there 
And over 90 men in that spot surrendered to one guy, Sergeant Alvin York. Another 40 or so surrendered on his way back to camp. An excerpt from the official report made by officers of the 82nd Division to General Headquarters reads, Practically unassisted, he, that's Alvin, captured 132 Germans, three of whom were officers, took about 35 machine guns, and killed no less than 25 of the enemy, later found by others on the scene of York's extraordinary exploit. Sergeant York won the Medal of Honor. This is what Sergeant Alvin York said about that day. So you can see here in this case of mine where God helped me out. I had been living for God and working in the church sometime before I came to the army. So I'm a witness to the fact that God did help me out of that hard battle. For the bushes were shot up all around me and I never got a scratch. So you can see that God will be with you if you will only trust him. And I say that he did save me. Now he will save you if you will only trust him. King David was a man who faced opposition. A man who faced battle many times. He fought and killed lions and bears with his hands. And he killed Goliath. Listen to 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. That's this guy. That's legit right there. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And David did go, and the Lord was with him. And he killed Goliath by trusting in the power of the Lord. Now, later, David fought with armies of the Philistines against the Philistines. David faced the jealousy and rage of King Saul, who was angry with David because God had chosen David to take over the throne of Israel and not Saul and his family. Later on, David had to face his own son. His own son betrayed him, Absalom, and gathered the forces of Israel to try to take the kingdom from David. David had to flee from Absalom in the wilderness. It says that as he was fleeing with his, with his friends and so on away from Israel, he, he walked up the Mount of Olives barefoot with his head covered, weeping. That's the state that he was in as he was fleeing for his life from his own son because his son had an army ready to take David's life. And either at that time or remembering it afterward, David wrote the psalm that we are going to study today. So let's pray before we get into the word. Father, we just ask that you'd open up your word to us, that we would hear your scripture, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that we would come to know you more through your word, trust you more through your word, follow you more through your word. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. We've been in the book of Psalms. And we've gotten through Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, and we're working through the first five Psalms in this series. And today, Lord willing, we're going to get all the way through Psalm 3. So let's start by reading the whole Psalm, and then we'll kind of get into it verse by verse. It says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. 
But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. David is facing what looks like to the world, to most people, impossible odds. Impossible odds. Verse one, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many, thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands had betrayed David and risen up against him looking to take his life. And he's saying this to the Lord. I've never been in a situation like this, mostly because my son is nice to me, so he hasn't ever tried to take me out. I don't think, but maybe just know when we go with him. I don't know. But seriously, we have all faced difficulties and trials, right? All of us have faced difficulties and trials that seemed overwhelming. Like Sergeant York, who by himself is facing down 90 German soldiers firing machine guns at him. But we face them all the time. That bill that you don't know how you're going to pay. Jobs that we've lost. We don't know how things are going to work out. Or we have sin that we struggle against or addiction, or consequences from our past that we worry about. Sometimes we literally face enemies that are other people who have betrayed us or who hate us. Always we face spiritual war, trying to destroy us in our work for the kingdom of God. And remember this. David wasn't an innocent man. He wasn't a sinless man. He wasn't Jesus. David had made some mistakes, and he had made some mistakes as a father. Some pretty serious ones. If you want to go read First and Second Samuel, you get a feel for some of the mistakes that David made as a father. So as he's facing Absalom, who's turned against him, at some level, some of that may have had come back to David's parenting, which is a problem. And of course, that's just like us. Sometimes our enemies and our problems are because of our own failings, because we all fail, we all fall. And yet we will see in this psalm that even, even when we are Even when we have sinned, when God has forgiven us and we're in him, he's still for us. He's still protecting us. He's still taking care of us. Even when the things we face really are our own fault, God still is with us, always with us. And you'll see this with David. Verse two, many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. David is, and then Selah. And Selah, just so you know, is, is a term that nobody is certain what it means. So there's Jewish scholars, there's Christian scholars, they've tried to figure out what does Selah mean, um, and there are things named after it. Apparently, I was told there's a town in Washington named Selah. Uh, some people pronounce it differently, whatever, you know, unless you happen to know. Uh, the fact is, we don't know what it means, but some people think it might be a musical term. Remember, these are songs that were sung, um, so I've just kind of thought it probably means something like guitar solo here. That's kind of my probably doesn't mean that. It probably doesn't mean that. Um, what I use it for is when I see the word Selah, uh, and you see it in the Psalms and a few times in the book of Habakkuk, it's a good time to slow down in your reading of the scripture and just sort of meditate or think about or concentrate on what you've just read. So that's a good, that's a good way for me to use it since I don't know exactly what it does mean. And there are a number of theories. I kind of use it to look back at what was there and focus on it. But David is being mocked and insulted here. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. 
People know David has sinned, by the way. He was a man who had to confess and repent horrible sins. Horrible sins. Confess and repent to God. But he was forgiven. As David is fleeing from Absalom, a guy named Shimei shows up and starts yelling at David and cursing him, calling him a bloodthirsty man and throwing rocks at David and his friends. And David, this was, this was not a completely unfair thing to say. David had, in fact, committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was the wife of a faithful servant of David's named Uriah. And instead of just coming clean and admitting it and so on, he had Uriah killed. There is something to the idea that David was a bloodthirsty man, that he did terrible things. But David, when he sinned, was broken before God, broken. If you want to see a man with a broken and contrite heart, read Psalm 51. Put that in your homework. It is an incredible psalm for all of us. It had been forgiven. But Shimei is kind of like the devil. The devil's ploy is always to remind us. He's an accuser. The devil's an accuser. He's constantly accusing us. He wants us to feel shame, to feel like we're beyond salvation, to feel like the things in our past make us unworthy of God. There's no help for you in God. That's the way he wants us to feel. And in all of that, Jesus Christ stands victorious, saying that we have been forgiven. We're God's children. The price has been paid, and we're saved. And David knew that too. In Matthew, we see them hurling similar insults at our Messiah, Jesus. Matthew 27, 40 through 43. And saying, you destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. They mocked Christ like they mocked David. Of course, David deserved because he was a sinner. Christ was sinless and perfect, but that's the beauty of the gospel. He didn't come down from the cross. For you, for me, you have to understand, Jesus was perfect and without sin, didn't deserve any of it, any of the pain, any of the suffering. He never had to come and become a man in the first place. And at any time, these who were mocking him, nailing him to a cross and so on, he could have wiped them out. In fact, if he wanted to, he would have been justified and would have been fully powerful enough to destroy the entire universe with a word if he wanted to, but he didn't. He bore the shame of the cross for the glory that was and the joy that was set before him, that is you, that you might come to know him. Many are our sins that are brought to our attention, sometimes by ourselves, because we refuse to live in the joy of our own forgiveness. Let's not do that. And sometimes they come from other people, bringing up our past. That's what David's facing here. But the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death and hell, and I am saved because I called him his name, and you are saved if you've called him his name, and you don't have to live in that anymore. Any shimmyi who wants to throw rocks and curse you got nothing on you because you're saved and because the price has already been paid and you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Psalm 3.3, the next verse. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. 
God is our shield all around us. We live in a fallen world. We know that. Every one of you knows that we live in a fallen world. And, but we've got a job to do, right? We've got a commission. We have the authority of Jesus delegated to us to make disciples for him, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that he has commanded. We teach his disciples. We're disciples. We make disciples. They make disciples. That is our commission. And it says, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's what it says. Because he's a shield around us. Yeah, the world's fallen. Uh-huh. It's true. There are dangers and troubles and persecutions and heartbreak and sorrows and enemies and all of that. That's true. But God is our shield. He's our shield. He's our protector. He's the protector of all things for us, physically and spiritually, and he will protect us. Listen, we don't take one breath. You do not have a single breath that you have ever taken, but by his grace. But by his grace, we can do nothing without him. But in him, we can do all things. Listen to this. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, David knows who he is. And he knows who God is. He knows that he was made in the image and likeness of God, that he's forgiven, that he's free, free from sin, free from fear, free from the fear of death. He knows that. We ought to know that too. Sergeant York knew it, alone with machine guns raining down fire on him, believing that God would protect him. God is our shield. We do not have to fear anything. We are surrounded by the shield that God is for us. And here's the thing, listen. God has not forgotten about you. If you feel like that sometimes, I don't feel like I have a shield around me. God has not forgotten about you. He knows every hair in your head and every thought in your head. And he knows those things because he cares about you. There would be no other reason. Obviously for some of you, counting the hairs is easier than others. I won't point anybody out. Todd Roy. But anyway. You don't have to fear anything because God has determined the days of your life. Listen, God is sovereign. He has determined beforehand all that he has made you to do, all that he is going to give you to do. Every day that your life is going to be, you don't need to worry about it. He's got it and he's good. He's given you a mission and he's given you a calling and he's given you the gifts to fulfill that mission and that calling. In his power, not in your own. Listen to the first verse of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Nobody. Nobody. We are not to be afraid. We fear nobody, not because we're strong, but because God is. God is strong. He made everything. He made everything. He made you in his image and likeness. He has a reason for everything, including you. Sometimes you feel like, what is the reason for me? It's a great and glorious reason. There's a reason for you. We have been set apart to work for the king of kings. We're his. 
were his. It's an amazing thing to be set apart to work for the king of kings. We get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things. What do you have to fear? Nothing. Who shall you be afraid of? No one. Next, the psalm tells us that God lifts our head. How amazing is that? That's amazing. We, as people, we get ashamed, afraid, frustrated, full of sorrow, grief, we struggle, and God says, you're my child, and lifts up your head. He lifts up your head, that we might look at him and look to his face and be comforted completely. Look, I don't know how many times, counting-wise, I've had to, to have God lift up my head, but I'll tell you this. I don't know what God is doing in your life personally right this minute or, or lately, but I can tell you this. I cannot get through a day, a day, without having to go to God and have him lift up my head. I cannot go through a day without seeking earnestly his comfort because things come up. Things are difficult. It's often the thing that I'm upset about that I wait as long as I do sometimes to look to him and have him raise my head because he does it every single time. Every single time. No matter what I go through, no matter how dark the night, no matter how much anxiousness is in my body, no matter what the obstacle, no matter what somebody has said or what I'm facing or what has to be done, every single time he comforts me and lifts up my head. Every single time, and he will for you too. That I might look at his face and my fears go away. Verse four. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Have you ever tried to cry out to the Lord? Hopefully you all pray to God regularly, but sometimes our prayers kind of become kind of rote, kind of um, standard. Lord, thank you for the food. God, help my car to start this morning. That can be more of a cry sometimes, depending on how late I'm getting. Whatever it is, right? But they can become kind of rote. And yeah, we should be praying for those things. Absolutely. We should thank God for the food. Obviously, I've done that many times this morning. But the, no, I haven't eaten many times this morning. Um, we should thank God. We should, we should pray to God. But crying out to God, whether in praise or in need, is something deeper and needed by the Christ follower. You need to be crying out to God. My kids were young. If they were in trouble or scared or there was something difficult going on or whatever, they weren't quiet about it. They wouldn't say, hey, Dad, if you have time and you can get around to it, um, I'm floating into the deep end and going to die. So if you, if you have time, whatever, come to me. That's not what they did. They said, help, Daddy, help. They cried out. Because it was serious. They recognized there was a problem and they needed help. There are times when that needs to be the cry of our heart. We have to recognize our utter inability to face the troubles of this world without God. Utter inability to face the troubles of the world without God. Without me, you can do nothing. In Christ, we can do all things. We are not able by ourselves, in our own power, tough thing 
right now in our world, in this area where we live in the Northwest, but generally in the United States and the Western world, we're pretty wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Some of you may be like, I'm not that wealthy. Well, come to Honduras with me. You might change your mind. Compared to the most of the world, we're pretty wealthy, and because of that, we get this idea that we got a lot of strength. We can solve that problem with the bank account, or we can solve that problem with our uh, relative power or the job that we have or the whatever, things are going well. You know, we're very focused on exercise and making our bodies strong and whatever. We're very, we're very into our own strength. And because of that, people have a hard time sometimes looking to God because they're under the illusion they have strength until all that goes away until they get cancer, until their wife or their husband is gonna leave and their family is gonna come apart, until they lose that job and that money and that status that they thought was so important. When those illusions are taken away, that's for the first time for some people when they might actually cry out to God. But here's the thing, if you recognize that all those things are an illusion, that you are 100% dependent on God all the time, maybe you cry out a little bit more. Because that's where we need to be We have to believe that God hears us, that he loves us, that he will help us. We cry out to him, God, please help me, Daddy, help me. I need help. He knows. You need to know that too, even if things seem like they're going great. You will not be sustained another moment without him. We also cry out in praise to him. That's why we lift our voices singing to him when we get together. We don't just say, hey, will you stand up and whatever, just because it's some sort of tradition of like standing up and sitting down and whatever. It's not your daily calisthenics. We do it. The reason we raise our hands, the reason we raise our voices is because we're crying out to him in praise for all that he has already done and all that he's promised he will do and for who he is. We cry out in praise. Just like we cry out in need, we should be doing both. First, we cry out in need. He, he, he comes and he helps us. He lifts our head and we cry out in praise. That's who we are because we're passionate people. Christ followers are passionate people. This isn't a game. This is our life. This isn't just a place we come. This is who we are. We're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, the creator of all things. Through him, all things were created, and you are his body on this earth. We're passionate about that. We're going to cry out. We're going to cry out. And he listens to us. So pray. Pray to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord because he hears you. And Christ followers, listen. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you. When you cry out to the Lord, the evil one runs because he knows that daddy's coming. When you cry out to the Lord, anyone who has any sense will stop being your enemy. Because the God of the universe is your friend. And your king. And your father and your friend. All of those things. All of those things. When you cry to the Lord, he hears you from his holy hill, and he's with you. Here, as Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, and the Holy Spirit is in you. You got it all as a Christ follower. You do not need to be afraid, and that is why this next verse is so beautiful. This is what he says, Psalm 3, 5. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Sometimes I have a hard time getting to sleep. I don't know if that's you, but that's me. Usually it's because my body is ready to turn off, but my mind is not. That's what happens with me sometimes. I can sit there 
and just allow myself to be full of cares and worries and concerns, thinking about what has to be done the next day or thinking about difficulties that I'm facing or whatever. There's only one time I can remember where I actually had a hard time sleeping for a reason of being actually afraid of what might happen that night, that I was actually in real danger. I'll tell you about it. I went on a camping trip with my friend Rob one time. We hiked about eight miles or so into the wilderness in the Wenatchee area. We found this beautiful valley with these little flowers. Just beautiful. It was wonderful. It really was. Nice little hill to hike up and look out over the forest. It's really nice. But at some point, Rob starts telling me that this place is called Cougar Valley. He's totally making this up because he's a jerk. Making it up. But, he's, but I don't know that. And he's telling me there are lots of cougars in this area, right? Not WSU graduates, cougars, like the big cat lion things, okay? I don't know about you, but I'm not looking to run into cougars ever. Not in the daytime, but certainly not in the nighttime when I can't see anything in the middle of this valley in the middle of nowhere. I mean, my wife spent three nights in the hospital because a feral kitten bit and scratched her. I don't even want to imagine what a cougar could do to me, but I did imagine it a lot that night. I imagined just what a cougar could do to me. I don't know if you've ever slept in a tent, but you've probably noticed that they're not cougar-proof. I don't know if you noticed that. They're not even really rain-proof. You actually have to put a different piece on top of it just to keep the water from coming through. So I'm pretty sure a cougar is not going to be, you know, oh, well, I can't get to him now. There's a thin thing of nylon between me and him, right? They're just not cougar-proof. So when you're sitting in that tent at night, you're not feeling particularly secure. If that cougar's hungry, he's probably coming through this, you know, tent. So I'm sitting there in my sleeping bag, or as I thought of it, my tortilla for the David burrito that this cougar was going to eat. And all through the night, I kept hearing what I was sure are cougars, walking around, breathing, pushing against the tent. I'm sure it was the wind now. I realized that. But at the time, I was not laying down and sleeping in peace. Okay? I was not doing that. Meanwhile, Rob, my buddy's laying there, zonked out. Totally fine. Totally fine. Because he knows he lied about the cougars, right? So he's not worried about it at all. I'm thinking the reason he's so nonchalant is because he knows he's faster than me. So if something happens, I'm the one who's going to get eaten and he's going to get away. Anyway, the cougars ate us. It was, no, they didn't. They didn't. Cougars didn't eat us. We didn't die that day. But it's hard to lay down and sleep peacefully if you're scared. I can tell you that. Fear and sleep don't go together well. They just don't. David slept well because he trusted the Lord. Not because there was nothing to fear. There was actually really nothing to fear for me in that moment. The cougars weren't coming. For David, there really was something that he could have feared. Thousands and thousands of people who wanted to take his life because they were stealing his kingdom. But David trusted the Lord. He cast his cares upon God. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Listen, I don't know if this will help you, but drop your cares on God and get some sleep. When nighttime comes, when you go into your room to sleep, a great habit would just be to pray before you start that process of getting ready to sleep and tell God you trust him. You trust him for all your fears, all your worry, all your overthinking, and sleep. 
It's not that there wasn't a danger for David. Let's assume there really are issues in your life. There really are things. God will protect you spiritually, physically, financially. He'll do the things that need to be done to make sure that you're safe. Pray, leave it with him, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you, and rest. I think there's a a real lack of that. I can speak for myself, but I think for many others too. Now, the worst thing for me is not normal fears and anxieties. I can tell you the worst thing for me ever that affected me, sleeping and waking, is unrepentant sin. That's the thing that will really get you. Forget fear of cougars. I would rather sleep in the lion's den than try to sleep with unrepentant sin. I can just tell you. If you are living in sin and you don't feel convicted by the Holy Spirit for the sin, let me just tell you, pray that you will feel convicted. Pray for the conviction because it's better to have that conviction and struggle with your sleep and struggle with whatever so that you confess and repent and turn from it than it is to not have it affect you at all. And sometimes that's what happens to our consciences. I know what's happened to mine. Lose some sleep over unrepentant sin that you might get right with God and have beautiful sleep. They might repent and grow close to him. David couldn't sleep well himself when he had unrepentant sin. So he's talking about sleeping well here, but listen to Psalm 32, one through seven. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen, when I kept silent, didn't confess, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, say law. I acknowledge my sin to you, confessed, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, say law. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance, say law. Confess, pray to God while he may be found. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. David was saying, look, my hand was, your hand was heavy on me. I'm not sleeping well. I'm not feeling well because of sin. Fear can cause sleeplessness and worry is, is rough but nothing will cause you to feel awful day and night like unrepentant sin. Just a fact. Because we are his. We are his. We're his children. If you're a Christ follower, you're his children. When we sin and don't confess and repent, his hand is heavy upon us, as David writes here in the psalm. God will draw us back to himself. He will chasten those he loves. He loves you. It's not gonna let you get that great sleep when, you, when you're not right with him because he wants you to be right with him. He loves you. So if you wanna have a beautiful, restful sleep, live righteously, confess and repent of sin and cast your cares on God for he cares for you and trust him always. I know I'm not the only one who sometimes has the hard time getting that restful sleep. 
I also know that when I do these things, I sleep like a baby. Also, I take some Ambien. No, I don't really do that. I just, I'm kidding. Like, well, that seems like an easier solution. Confess sin, take an Ambien. Well, no, listen. David was comfortable with thousands of people chasing him down. He was refreshed. He got a good sleep because he trusted God completely. You can too. Verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. There were many people after David. He had God and he had some friends. And that's it at that time. Eventually there was a battle between Absalom's forces and those that rallied to David and 20,000 men died. So you have an idea of the size of this conflict. A lot of people against David. There was an army after David and he was not afraid because he knew through long experience his whole life this guy trusted God to kill bears and lions and a giant. Trusted God to keep him when the king of Israel, Saul, was after him. And in who knows how many battles. So he trusted God here with his son Absalom after him. He knew God always comes through. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you won't suffer. We will suffer. David was suffering. There was definitely suffering in it. Sergeant York was not having a party when he faced the Germans. He wasn't like, yay, he was suffering. It was difficult. Later in life, actually, Sergeant York, they came to him and, and offered him, their estimated something between $250,000 and, and who knows what, which is a lot of money back then. Still a lot of money. And he turned it all down because he felt like it would draw him away from the Lord. He didn't want to profit off of what he had done for the country and for God. And so instead, he continued to faithfully serve the Lord. He built a, a school to study the Bible. But you know what? His life wasn't without suffering. He actually had major illnesses, major health problems. His life was not all roses and lollipops, but he trusted God. David's life was not all roses and lollipops either. Read the scriptures and find out all the suffering. There were some ups, but there were some downs, some difficulties. But he trusted God. We trust God for the battle, knowing that in life or in death, we serve God, and we trust him to work all things together for good. That's how we do it. Just as Jesus Christ trusted the Father in life and in death and in rising again and defeating sin and hell and death. He submitted to the Father unto death, knowing that he'd rise again, just like we can submit to God, even if it causes our own death, knowing that we'll rise again, because Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. You and me who are in Christ, whatever comes, whatever comes, he is going to work it all together for good and you will have eternal life in him. Next verse, seven. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Now David here is talking about his enemies like they were wild animals, which he had some experience with wild animals. You break their teeth and they can do no harm, right? David had fought with animals in the past. He knew those teeth, that's the scary part. If I had been in Cougar Valley and thought all the cougars had no teeth and they were just going to come gumming <laughs> at me, I would have been like, oh, that'd be awesome. I'm going to take one home because that'd be a cool kitty, really big one. I guess they still have claws, but you know what I'm saying. You take their teeth out, they can't do much. 
God can take away the plans of the wicked to harm us. He can break their teeth out. Listen, David is, he's singing this psalm. He's putting on the full armor of God, ready for battle. He got up from a good sleep, refreshed, and there was a full-on getting ready for battle montage like you'd see in a movie, like some heaven, he's putting on this, all this stuff. He's getting his, his armor on. He's ready to go. He's ready to rumble, singing his psalm because he trusts God that much. He's like, let's do this because I'm going to the power of God. And that's who we need to be. That has to be our mindset. Christians, Christ followers, that has to be your mindset. We remind ourselves of God's goodness, of the Father's hand in our lives, that we're protected, that he's a shield around us. And we know the enemy's out there, but God has already won the battle. He's already won. And we're ready to go. And we cannot be defeated. We cannot be defeated. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nobody. Listen, we're to be like David. We cry out to the Lord for help, and then we suit up for battle. We're not afraid. We're not fighting for ourselves or by ourselves. We're fighting for God in the power of God. What do you have to be afraid of when that's the case? We face the day as more than conquerors because we've already won. Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen, no more wussy church. No more wussy church. No more passive church. We are the body of Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. This is not about winning money or power or fame or worldly pleasures or all the things that the lost go after. This is about winning hearts and minds and souls and spirits to Jesus Christ. Winning people to be disciples of Jesus, to have what you have. If you're a Christ follower, I hope the most valuable thing that you have, far above everything else, is your relationship with God and your salvation. I would hope that if I said, here's a billion dollars, you'd be like, please, that's nothing compared to my salvation and my relationship with God. If that's true, and we know there are people out there without it, we need to get suited up and go out there and fight for them to have the same thing. Yeah, praise God. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. We're here to make disciples. You've got to be ready for battle. You want to make disciples because you've got to go through the good times and the bad times. You've got to rejoice with those who rejoice and you've got to mourn with those who mourn. It's service. You want to be a real woman, a real man? It's service. Loving people and you better be ready for battle for that and God's going to give you all the strength and all the power to do that. Look, I go to weddings and I go to funerals, good times and bad times. I counsel broken marriages and I counsel depressed and broken people and I watch those same people overcome in the power of Christ. I watch marriages that are so broken become marriages that the power of God is just infused in. I see people who are on the edge of suicide coming back to joy in the Lord. That's what we get to be a part of. There's nothing else. There's nothing else worth doing. This is your inheritance, Christ follower. This is what you get. You get to work for the king of kings. That's pretty good. We get to see the kingdom work done. We don't cower in a corner and worry about offending the world. Well, I don't know if I want to say anything at work today because, you know, people are offended by Christianity or whatever. Yeah, the gospel's offensive to those who are perishing. 
It is. And it's the power of salvation of those he's calling to himself who you are called to fight for. Stop worrying about ourselves. Stop chasing comfort. We got a job to do. We have a job to do. Whatever our jobs are throughout the day, whatever they are. You're a plumber, you work construction, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, I hope not. (laughs) Kidding, kidding. Whatever you're doing, that's one thing, that's part of your calling. But over and above that calling is your calling to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And everything about what we do has to be built to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Because that's the commission that he gave us. It's not, it wasn't, he wasn't asking. Go, therefore. Not, would you mind going for me? No, he's the king and he told you what to do. We're his church and we're going to do it. We're going to get our priorities right. And having our priorities right means mission is first. Mission, calling, the great commission. It's who we are. It's who you are. No more wussy church. No more being afraid. If David can face down thousands of people who are after his life, we can face down somebody who might get a little offended because we talk about Jesus Christ. Because we show who he is in our lives. Don't get lost in anything else. Everything else is distraction. Focus on him. Suit up. Sing what David sings to the Lord. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. That's every day we get up. Dun, 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 putting on the armor of God. And we're going out fighting together as a shield wall, as his church. You're not alone. You have God. You got me. You got the people sitting around you. This is going to be fun. We can enjoy this life. And then finally, verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not to David. See, David has never in all of his life, whether it's fighting lions or bears or Goliath or armies or Saul or Absalom, never in all his life has it been his salvation helping himself. It has always been God who brings salvation. We look to God to save us. We cannot save ourselves. You are incapable of it. But God saves us. Salvation belongs to the Lord and his blessing is on you. You are his people. His blessing is on you. I'm really bummed about this thing that happened. God's blessing is on you. Be less bummed about that. There are things to be bummed about. I get it. But let's not forget that God's blessings on you, and there's joy in that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is God who saves by his mighty right hand. We're just, with a shield about us, we're just walking in his power, doing his stuff. And we feel weak sometimes. We let our past dictate who we are in the future. No, forgetting what is behind, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heaven, word of Christ Jesus, period. Forgetting, every day forgetting, battling up, battling up. Let's do it. David knows the saving hand of God. He fought lions and bears by trusting God. He defeated Goliath by trusting God. He was not overcome by Saul by trusting God, and now here he did not and was not defeated by his own son and the people who betrayed him by trusting God. He could not be shaken. We cannot be shaken. 
We cannot be shaken. Let's pray. Father, I love you because you first loved me and everyone here and everyone online that's listening to you, that calls on your name. You loved us, Lord. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. You didn't have to. You could have destroyed the universe and been like, these people, these ungrateful people, and we were, and yet you died for us and drew us to yourself, and you've given us strength and honor in you, and you've delegated authority to us to make disciples for you, and you've told us we can trust you that all things will work together for good for those who love you, for those who are the called according to your purpose. And we can walk in that more than conquerors. Of whom shall we be afraid? No one. You've told us clearly. God, make this church a mighty work for you. Bring people who need to know you to you. Please don't let us let the churches become something we do. One of the clubs that we're a part of some tribe that we associate with. Let the church be us. Let us be your body. Let us confess sin and repent and live for you, whatever it costs. Let us live for you. Lord, lead us, Jesus. Lead your army, your church, your soldiers, your shield wall against the gates of hell. And God, let us serve one another lovingly, willingly, forgiving one another as you've forgiven us, bearing with one another as you have borne with us. Let the fruit of your Holy Spirit just be in power in this church. God, I just want to see you do great things. I cry out to you, God, help us do great things. In your power and in your love, we love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope the Lord blessed you through it. We'd like to invite you to join us on one of our Sunday morning services at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Whether you would just like to find out some more info about Axe Church or if you'd like to plug in and take some next steps in your faith, axechurchnw.org is a great place to start. You can also email us at info at axechurchnw.org. There's always more content coming, whether it's on YouTube or on our podcast channel. So be sure to subscribe to both of those to always get the newest content from Max Church. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed week.